1: J.Y.W. Radio Original Podcasts.
2: Hey, everybody. It's Flashpoint host, Cherry Gregg. I just wanted to say I appreciate all of your support of the Flashpoint show and podcast. Would you do me a favor? Would you subscribe to the podcast and be sure to rate and review? We need your reviews to get us to the top. Have a happy 2021. Now back to the show.
3: The following program was recorded from a live virtual event earlier this week. Presented by Patriot Home Care.
2: Good evening, everybody. And welcome to this Flashpoint Live virtual event. I'm Cherry Gregg. Thank you so much for being here. Hello to everyone who is here virtually with us on Zoom. And hello to everyone who is watching along on Twitter and on Facebook. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, This is Flashpoint Live. Uh, COVID-19, A Year in Perspectives, we're gonna take a look at some of the many lessons we've learned along the way and figure out hopefully how we can apply those lessons as fuel for our future. 2020 was a year and it's still going even though we're in 2021. I recall March 1st of last year being at a conference in Washington, DC when I came back to Philadelphia, I heard about this coronavirus and that it was spreading. Work life changed and so did everything else. Next thing you know, headlines raged. We had people getting sick. We had racial uh, injustice and unrest. We had resilience, we had closures, we had pivots, community. We lost so much, but we gained so much as well. So this is all about perspective. We have a group of amazing guests. Thank you to everyone who is here. Um, If you are watching on Facebook, please use the comments. Uh, If you are inside of Zoom, please use your chat feature. We will be taking questions from you, our audience. Also use it to send a round of applause, to make comments, to let us know your thoughts as we discuss these important issues. Um, Our hashtag is FlashpointLive. Uh, Please tag a friend and share this video. So uh, our first guest have used the pulpit to provide medical and political and emotional intervention in a way unseen in generations, I would say. And first up, we have Reverend Marshall Mitchell. He is pastor of Salem uh, Baptist Church of Abington. And I have to share a quick memory um, of me and Reverend Mitchell. Uh, I was at Penn Memorial, Baptist Church um, in the beginning of April, and he was in scrubs in the parking lot. He was working with the black doctors. They were giving COVID-19 tests uh, to the community. Reverend Mitchell, welcome to Flashpoint Live.
4: Thanks so much, Sherry. It's great to... um... There we are great to yes. be back here with you and actually really good to not be in scrubs and not on a parking lot for uh, sure great Do you to see you remember that day i remember that day very very vividly i remember when you showed up i remember how we were very deep into figuring out how to make pin memorials parking lot work after we figured out how to make enons parking lot work and we were wondering what this disease was all about, what this infection was about, and how we would respond as a community because we fundamentally did not believe that Superman was coming for, for the Black community. So we had to mount up the way Pastor Waller and I try to do every day uh, remedies and cures for Black people that are intrinsic, intrinsically and domestically Black oriented.
2: Yeah. And you were in scrubs. I had porta potties. <laughs> okay. Nope, this was real. This was so real and and one of the things you said that has stuck with me throughout this pandemic, you said, we will not wait for government. We have the resources, we have the manpower, we're gonna get it done. Was this a major lesson for you and and for our community?
4: It was, it was a revisitation of the foundational lessons of what it means to be black in America. It's the same thing Richard Allen was doing in the 1790s, same thing Absalom Jones was doing. It's the same thing that Bishop Henry McNeil Turner did. It's the same thing that Albert Tinley did in the 1930s in Philadelphia. It's the same thing that we learned at Howard University. And ultimately, if you want to take care of yourself, you've got to provide for yourself. You can't look for other people to do it. And you certainly don't stand flat-footed when you have the wherewithal to, uh, to make it work for yourself. And so the lesson in all of that was God, it's not in the Bible, but God knows it's the gospel. God helps those who help themselves.
2: Yeah. And you guys raised thousands of dollars. Um, You you brought in a crew of clergy, uh, including, um, you know, you all got together and started doing these pop up testing sites. Uh, There was no government funding initially and uh, and it worked and it really started to help.
4: Yeah, well, I'm not surprised because, again, it is a we're in our fourth century of doing this in America. If you trace it back to Richard Allen and then you fast forward to Alan Waller, you're doing it in the 1700s. You're doing it in the 1800s. You're doing it in the 1900s. You're doing it in the 2000s. And so the playbook was already existed. And so, you know, put it in football terms. It was like finding Bill Walsh, uh, his playbook from the 1980s with the San Francisco 49ers. And then going through it and realizing the same playbook works, right? You start off with God, you double down on your own industry, your own intelligence. You find a fantastic, willing twin doctors and other people who already have possessed remarkable world-class expertise. They bring it to the table you bring the one thing that Black people have always had, the Black church, which is a remarkable piece of real estate. And you know me, I'm unapologetically Black, unapologetically capitalistic. The Black church in Philadelphia probably owns conservatively a billion Mm dollars in real estate that is free and clear of debt and mortgages. So you don't sit there when you're sitting on something worth a billion dollars. You mobilize it, you energize it, you reopen it. And for many, for me, and I think for Alan and others, this has been a rebirth opportunity for the Black church. And the Black church stepped up when government didn't show up, when Black elected officials didn't know what to do. And in many ways, Alan and I and Damaris Walker, the pastor of New, New Covenant, Glenn Spaulding, we served as the ground crew. And Dr. Stanford and Dr. Wardlaw and Dr. McDonald, they were the fighter pilots, right? They're the aces. Our job was to make sure they had runways, to make sure they had people, to make sure people knew where they were going to be. And that's what we did. And I think that's a great model for us in these times. I also want to thank God for Donald Trump. <laughs> right? wow. I want to thank God for him because had Donald Trump not agitated us to the place where we believed in ourselves, but even beyond believed in ourselves, we exercised our God-given potential education and outrage, and we mobilized a response. In his absence, I'm not sure we would have been women and men that we were to fully say, you know what, the hell with this. We're gonna do it as the church. Yeah. we are doing black people you've got board certified surgeons you've got pastors with 30 million dollar churches that are full of talented black people and you had these rank and file black people who would show up to be tested who would have God. wrinkled 5 dollar bills and they would have half a box of ppe of, of 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 mask and they would give those to you they gave everything they had to this and that was so inspiring
2: because government it, and it was inspiring. I want to bring uh, Reverend Dr. Allen E. Waller of Enon Tabernacle Church in here to kind of join the conversation uh, because he uh, was part of this crew. You just mentioned this ground crew uh, with you. And um, he actually uh, was part of this getting tested on site, found out you had COVID-19 uh, in this process. And did it become, was it real for you before that? Or did it become even more real once it hit home and the way that it did?
3: Well, Thank you. And you know, I told you I wanted to talk before Marshall because he says all the good stuff. <laughs> and I just wanna say ditto to everything he said and uh, I'm, I'm his Robin to his Batman. So um, yeah, it, it, it was real before it hit me because it had already hit black people. And so when it hit Black people, it was real. When Marshall called and said, there's an opportunity for us to get people tested, we just did what we normally do. I only did what I have done with every other test. When we were doing the rapid testing of HIV in the community, I, I took an HIV test on a Sunday morning in the pulpit in front of the congregation, and we sang hymns for 20 minutes for my results to come back obviously i'm glad that didn't turn out like this one did yes
2: yes the
3: the reality is all i was doing was taking the test to model because back then remember everybody was concerned about going up your nose does it hurt all of that stuff was simply because i thought i was being responsible i had already shut down the facility we had already I've been uh, using masks and social distancing. We had already been following what we thought um, was uh, proper protocol. Then I I got four different um, prognosis from four different professionals. And I honestly believe the Lord allowed me to get it because it became public. So we could point out how much they did not know. Uh, and point out you
2: had no you had no symptoms you were fine you were on the front lines you were wearing your mask you were doing all the things you were supposed to do, yet you still had you got COVID.
3: And then I was told by four different professionals what I should do. I was even told by one professional, "Don't come in to see me," because yeah. they knew they didn't know what to do. Had, had we not had the black doctors lots of black people would have not gotten the help or the knowledge. Um, So I I learned and I appreciate that the old traditional church can still be nimble and is still the best thing going in our community to address the needs of our people. And and I'll I'll double down on that statement. I believe it. Uh, And I thank God that there were enough you know, sometimes we look back with um, primrose glasses at the church of the 60s as if everybody was doing it, when the truth of the matter is about six, about 10% of the churches supported Dr. King. Um, and the reality is sometimes we look with a jaundiced eye at the church today, but the truth of the matter is there were lots of pastors that helped and joined in, and the church, again, showed that it can be in the, this new term, fidgetal. Physical, yeah. and digital, uh, and it is a digital institution, and we've been able to pivot and stay relevant. And so, I want to salute our church, yeah. church, and so forth.
2: And you guys, and I, I want to just you know, as we fast forward, because I even came out uh, to Salem, uh, Reverend uh, Mitchell. You guys had transformed the the sanctuary, which hadn't been used for live services in a year. You transformed it into a space where people were literally getting their vaccinations in the middle, like with the cross and the pulpit right there. Oh, because it's perfect.
4: It's when you ever, whenever you talk about anybody about what the testing or what the vaccination space should look like, they say it should be very airy and spacious. It should have external doors on an internal building and it should have a good HVAC system. Black churches have good air conditioning because we get hot in the summertime. We do, and Salem was perfect. And we've said for so many generations, the you know the church is a hospital for sin, for the sin sick soul, and so it forced us to be what we said. And I think that's what I took away from so much of this. I, I, you know, I've jokingly said to Alan that it was a blessing that he contracted it because he, for many people in Philadelphia, he's our Superman. Right? He's the guy who when there's big challenges. You know, he leaps over the building in a single bound, but it showed all of our humanity. Yeah, And I think, I think his contracting it, and thank God he came through it with flying colors, was a symbol to other people that this can happen to you, this can happen to your congregation. And so we need to quickly mount a response to it.
2: Yeah, and I got to shift gears because we want to look towards the future. I mean, the city is facing a number of uphill battles now that we have some kind of hold on COVID-19. We see, you know, I got my shot. Hopefully both of you got your shot. People are getting vaccinated, but now we gotta clean up this mess. We see gun violence is out of control right now in the city and the region and across the country, mass shootings happening. Um, We are gonna have to deal with this economic crisis. You know, uh, we want our businesses to stand back up. How do you see what we learned what you all learned, the role of the church, the role of individuals, the role of organizations, not government, but sort of helping us, uh, especially communities of color, deal with some of these very pressing issues.
3: Well, uh, thank you for that. I think one thing we've learned that anybody who says they are serious about helping the black community that does not come to the church to be a partner is lying. And so, what, what we have learned, if you want to get into the heart of the community to be a resource, you've got to work with churches. You know, you've got to be careful when you call it the church. We're, we're many churches, but we are together. So, that, that's number one. There's an unprecedented amount of money coming down from the federal government through this American Recoveries Program. And it's an exciting time. But when it gets here, the real question is what pockets will it go into? And one of the best ways to ensure that it gets to Black and Brown people is to make sure that where the tables of conversation are going, that they're, that the church is represented. Uh, and that when it's time to call people out, that we come to the church to make connections with those business owners that you're going to have on later. Um, and make sure that they get the proper funding to stand up their their businesses, when the money comes down to make sure uh, that we call attention to fair funding formula. You know, there's a direct connection between the violence in the street and the underfunded school systems. There's a direct connection between the violence in the street and the lack of business opportunities. In 1970, there were 365 manufacturing jobs in Philadelphia. Today, there are 23,000 and you wonder why people are doing what they sometimes feel they have to do to survive. We have to be honest about being the largest, poorest city in the country, and we have to be honest about what Marshall was talking about utilizing the resource of the church to make the connection between what government help there is and the amount of human capital and resource that can be marshaled through the church.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And as we wrap up this segment, I have to say, I mean, we, we're going to be watching the money, uh, you know, Reverend Mitchell. And I know, and I just want to point out that you all were very instrumental in lobbying government to make sure that the black doctors got access to contracts because, you know, you, you have people out here doing the work, but they weren't getting the, the government wasn't supporting, but we have to lobby for this. And there's a lot of funding. There's Billions coming to Pennsylvania, how do we make sure that folks like yourselves are on the front lines of lobbying and making sure the money goes where it needs to go?
4: Well, nobody's going to have to push Marshall Mitchell and Alan Waller to get on the front lines of anything, right? We're free men because we worship a free God and an empowered God, and we also represent the interests of Black people, and we're uncompromised. I think one of the things that we have to do, we've got to remind our white democratic friends that their natural predisposition toward what they know and what they are normally comfortable with, whether it's Philly fighting COVID versus supporting somebody like Ala Stanford. what we've got to get our white friends to understand who are in power is the same way they reflexively respond to well-pedigreed white people, they've got to start responding reflexively to black people who are qualified, who've not left their community, who are willing and desire to serve. People like Dr. Wardlaw, people like Dr. McDonald, they've got to get out of their way, right? And so I think the other thing though, that we've got to make sure we do, and Alan and I and other pastors and other people around town are going to be religious, no pun intended about it, is making sure that people understand and know who the leaders are in our community. Yes. And it is truly time for a new crop of leaders. And I don't just mean elected officials, but I mean real leaders who understand the power of what they possess in their hands and who are gonna make demands. We, The next mayor of the city of Philadelphia cannot be a transactional club politician. Who comes to the neighborhood and cuts ribbons? He or she, and I'm prayerful that it's it will be a she, has got to have answers and world class and world class relationships so that they can move the pens, the Jeffersons, the Elaws, the Elena, the others to do their jobs right. And and yeah. government has got to be the lever that does that because there's no bigger spigot than government.
2: Yeah, and I want to say thank you so much, gentlemen, uh, for coming and being part of this important Flashpoint Live discussion. Thank you to everybody who is inside of the Zoom, everybody who is on Facebook uh, watching along. If you have questions, if you have concerns, you can put them in the chat and we will get to you. Thank you so much, Reverend Dr. Uh, Alan E. Waller and Reverend Marshall Mitchell for coming on Flashpoint. They mentioned um, two doctors, Uh, they call themselves the twin sister docs. We have, uh, they have they are here today, Dr. Alana McDonald and Dr. Delana Wardlaw. They were on the front lines from the very beginning. They rolled up their sleeves. They volunteered their time. And were one part of the original uh, Black Doctors COVID-19 Consortium giving tests to people in communities of color and uh, church parking lots. Uh, Doctors McDonald and Wardlaw are here today. Thank you so much for being a part of the uh, Flashpoint Live. How are you doing today?
5: Good evening, Terry. thank you for having us.
2: Yes, and so we learned a lot, uh, ladies, about healthcare, about viruses, about uh, community response. Um, I want, you know, I'll start with you, Dr. McDonald. I mean, there were some things we already knew and then it was pretty much amplified as soon as the pandemic hit. And those, that, that thing was disparities.
5: Absolutely, what COVID did, COVID essentially was a virus that we didn't know much about at least not this particular variant. We didn't know much about this virus at all. And we were learning day by day what was going on with this virus. In the beginning, we didn't know what symptoms to look for. We didn't have treatment plans. The medical system was overwhelmed for the first time in my 20 year career and probably people with 40 year careers had to literally shut their offices down. Never have I told a patient, you can't come in. I have to take a look at you on on the computer to try to decrease exposure for everyone. But COVID essentially just magnified what's been going on in this country for the last 400 years. You know, The results of slavery, systemic racism, Jim Crow, implicit bias, African-Americans have not been getting adequate healthcare to take care, one, to prevent chronic illnesses, and two, to take care of those chronic illnesses. And as the data started to roll out with COVID-19, African-Americans were being devastated by this virus.
2: Yeah. And it's almost crazy because I remember covering uh, the the original rumor that started in the beginning of March that Black people thought they could not get COVID-19 because of melanin. It sounds insane now, but that was something that people believed. And Dr. Wardlaw did it, when you started hearing that misinformation, you started seeing the numbers that Dr. McDonald talked about, and we were being devastated. Did it change how you provide service? What did you do? Well, one, I cringed when
5: I first heard that. And then we knew we had to get ahead of the story, get ahead of the misinformation. And then Dr. McDonald and I, we started um, also outside of volunteer to test, also to develop a platform to be able to get out accurate information to our communities from people that that look like our community members people Dr. McDonald and I look like people in the community we're from the community and we knew very quickly that we had to get ahead of those rumors and be able to provide information that people could trust that people could say yes yeah, okay th- these people are, are are from our communities then then we can we can believe what they say so we had to really try to work quickly to try to be able to provide accurate concise consistent information across many platforms so that we can educate people that know black folks are not immune to this and we need to get tested and we need to consider, we have to take all the, the mitigation factors that are being uh, recommended because we are, not, we are not immune. And African-Americans unfortunately carry a heavy burden of many diseases, diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, kidney disease, HIV. And that alone put us at a vulnerable state being at higher risk for contracting coronavirus and for developing um, complications and death, unfortunately. And the numbers showed we were three times as likely to contract coronavirus and um, die of complications. Yeah, and
2: I I realized you had to create your own platform because what I learned as a journalist is that people in uh, hard hit communities, marginalized communities, black and brown communities, they didn't go to traditional uh, methods of getting information. Uh, they didn't always follow the news in the normal way and and or the way the majority would necessarily follow and so they had to get it in a more grassroots approach did, and you created this platform dr. McDonald to, to try to get the information out did you find yourself pivoting as far as like how you spoke to patients how you reached them how you got the vital information to them
5: absolutely because one you know in our day-to-day uh, jobs, we are educating our patients on a daily basis. But then we lost part of that opportunity as they weren't coming into the office. But we had the opportunity to use telehealth, but then we realized that social media was a huge platform to get to many people at one time. And as Dr. Wardlaw has mentioned, people were looking for trusted messengers, trusted messengers. And we have been working in our community for the last 20 years, So it's just an extension of moving outside of our offices and into the community and regionally just to say, hey, listen, let us give you the information. We understand the trepidation. We understand the mistrust. We understand all of this. However, there is a deadly virus that is killing us and continues to kill us. And we want to make sure that we are putting out the correct information to help everyone make the proper decisions for themselves and their family.
2: Yeah, and you see this, I got to say, we fast forward to where the vaccine, first of all, as medical professionals, we, the vaccine was put together in record time, and I mean, we're like a year uh, plus into this, and we have millions and millions of Americans, Dr. Warlaw, who have had their vaccine, and we thought people of color would be way more hesitant, but they're lining up and, and getting a shot. So this
5: shows that when you you put the uh, idea in play that the African-American community will listen to people that they trust. And Dr. McDonald and I work on a a platform of three T's, trust, translate, transform, trusted messengers to provide accurate, culturally sensitive information. And that that translates into patients becoming advocates in their healthcare. And that allows us to make um, transformational outcomes in individual healthcare and across the community. And we learned that that um, if we educate people about the vaccine and if we allow access to the vaccine, that African Americans started to increase their um, likelihood to get the vaccine because it's okay to be vaccine hesitant. That means that you have questions and concerns about the vaccine and that is okay. Ask your questions and we as medical professionals have to answer them so that you can make an educated and informed decision about what you need to do. But I would like to say, Cherry, about the vaccine being uh, uh, made in, in record time. The messenger RNA technology that's being used—that's not a new technology. That technology began well over uh, 15 years ago, uh, shortly after the the SARS-CoV-2 epi- SARS-CoV-1 epidemic. It wasn't an epidemic; it was it was an outbreak. Um, shortly after that, that is when the scientists started to work on technology for messenger RNA. So it didn't start in 2020 when COVID-19 wound up at our doorstep. The scientists had been working for years. So again, and that term Operation Warp, Warp Speed gave people a lot of hesitance as well because it, it made it think like things were done in a, in a, in a hesitant, I mean, in, a, in a quick manner. But what that Operation Warp Speed allowed was, it allowed for everybody in the world to drop what they were doing, to focus on the COVID-19 vaccine. It allowed for funding from the government, It allowed for private sectors, allowed for government sectors to come together to do many steps at one time that would have otherwise had to be done in individual steps and had taken longer. And also vaccine technology has improved over years, just like cell phone technology has improved. So vaccine technology has improved as well. Through all of that, none of the safety guidelines were abandoned. This vaccine was proven to be safe and effective.
2: Yeah, and I'm proud to say I got my vaccine and I and I will say honestly I'm a I was a hesitant Mm -hmm. okay I'm gonna keep it real with you (laughs) I was a hesitant um and I had COVID so Mm -hmm. I was like I'm not going but I did it and I was fine nothing happened and I feel um I'm, I'm glad I went through it and as we wrap up were there lessons to that you feel like you learned that you will take uh to the future because um This might not be our only pandemic. There could be other ways, there are derivatives. What lessons will you take? And if you could keep it tight as you tell us this, what lessons will you take with you to shift so that we're better prepared for this next round? Dr. McDonald and then Dr. Walla. Biggest lesson is making sure that we have access to adequate healthcare so
5: that we are not carrying a heavy burden of disease. So when the next pandemic come around, we may not be here, but hopefully our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren are better prepared to deal with the pandemic. And as a pediatrician, you know, we, we, we realize that our children are suffering just as much as we are. They were anxious, they're depressed, they've been pulled out of school, all of their activities. So they've been struggling just as much as we have. They're very resilient, but they're also dealing with, with they're looking at their parents, stressed. They're looking at their doctors, stressed. They're looking at, you know, the whole world's stressed and it's trickling down to them. Their sense of normalcy is gone. We can't forget the children in this and we want to make sure that we keep our eye on them and make sure that we have plans in place for them also.
2: Yeah, final word for this segment, Dr. Wardlaw, what some lessons will you take as we pivot? This could hit us again. We're not out the woods yet. We have to increase diversity in medicine.
5: As African-American females, Dr. McDonald and I represent 2% of the physicians in the United States. We have learned of recent that African-Americans are more uh, compliant when they have uh, doctors who have looked like them or who have something in common with them. So we have to increase those numbers in medical school. We have to increase those numbers in all areas of medicine where we are, we are increasing the diversity. Until we do that, we have to focus on cultural competency. We have to make sure that all doctors or culturally competent and sensitive to the communities that they are serving so that they can provide adequate care
2: well thank you dr alana mcdonald and dr alana wardlaw for coming on flashpoint live and i gotta throw this question out to you both while you're still here uh, Renoco michael says as leaders in the community i received my chart as a leader in the community i received my shots early how are you involving african-american nonprofits in this process to expand your reach both of you worked with organizations do you see that as being part of the strategy for for communities tackling these big issues bringing in these nonprofits and other organizations
5: absolutely and i think that nonprofits they have stepped up help with testing help with with vaccination also help with providing um educational material cuz again the misinformation just runs rampant and we also have to be able to provide um access to um Testing, I mean to 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 vaccination sites and also being able to help our seniors to be able to navigate the system, to be able to help them with paperwork when they can't do this, get on these electronics and things of that nature. So absolutely, we can work together to be able to make this a, a, a more successful
2: mission. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. The twin sister docs. You you both thank you so much for being on Flashpoint Live. Thank you so much. And so uh shout out to everybody who's on Facebook we see you. Please tag a friend and share the video. And thank you to everybody who's in this virtual event. You can post your questions, your comments. We would love to see what you're thinking, uh, what has stuck with you. If there's quotables, feel free to share them on social media using the hashtag Flashpoint Live.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
2: Now, um, our business sectors were hit hard as well. Um, in 2019, a record... 46 million people from all over the country and the world uh, came to our region, all right? Um, that and, and, you, and you talk about, they spend a record $7.64 billion, that was in 2019. 2020 hit, and it got a little crazy. And so our next guest, Jeff Guarasino, he is president and CEO of Visit Philadelphia. That is an agency here in the city that markets our region and gets folks to come here Jeff welcome to Flashpoint live how you doing
6: I'm wonderful thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this important conversation about the reflection of what's happened and also the conversation of moving forward for our city
2: yeah and so Jeff I mean you know right before the pandemic hit I think we were in Atlantic City remember that that's right. We we're talking about 2020 is about to be lit. We were saying how amazing things were, how great 2019 was. And then the pandemic hit. I want you to go back mentally and emotionally to this day in 2020. We have been about two weeks into it. What I mean, what was going through your mind after having a record 2019?
6: Um It's a sad point to think about how much changed for so many people overnight. And we talk about Atlantic City and that's when people lost their job overnight. And overnight, 40,000 people in Philadelphia, Philadelphia County, our neighbors, our people we go to church with, people we know lost their jobs. They, they they lost their businesses they were producing festivals they were yeah. they were making philly philly the retail sector where the small shops and bookstores and restaurants i mean these were people's dreams that 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 just suddenly ended and it's emotional because i'm from philly my mom was a single mom raising two kids to figure out how to put food on the table and you realize that our work at Visit Philly is to create customers to come, right? And to come and to be at a festival and to shop in a hotel and buy those little flowers and to help support the jobs in the restaurants. And if they're here for a meeting, a convention, throw down on that corporate credit card in order to bottle of wine. And the tour operator who wants to show all the great things of Philly and whether it's Mother Bethel, or whether it's the history of Philly, or whether it's discovering freedom—whatever it is—I see Boomy's on with us. discovering discovery yeah. going to be great. I see Boomi and and how much we, we miss that. And I think about that—that that changes someone's—that changes someone's life. And right now, as we speak, thirty thousand people yeah. are still unemployed. Like they don't have a paycheck, and what drives us to visit Philly is how do you how do you fix that how do you post ppp and post grants of everything that's been this amazing community response how do we rebuild and rebuild with intention and action and commitment and as a as a philadelphian with reverend waller was talking about and reverend Mitchell, so much more has been done in the role of the church Yes, to help fill up. When I think about the role when George Floyd was, was murdered, when the civil unrest and and businesses uh, were being, uh, were being destroyed by outsiders and coming in, destroying our businesses and how important of a role they played. And then how much came to light that we never talked about in a way, right? That we never maybe talked about with our, with our Black colleagues or with our a, our, our colleagues of, of Asian descent who were being discriminated against and being harassed and, and having those... Co- so it was really, really hard. And yeah. as someone who, as, as a gay man, I thought I knew diversity and I thought I, it, it's not true. And you had that self-reflection
2: yeah. of this
6: time to really listen and to think about these inequities that we're talking about. And what I'm th- what I'm happy about, because there is happiness here in Philly. There is this community yeah. response that doesn't happen in every city, right? Black doctors coming together. And we, we had power. We, we didn't wait. We took the power and said, what can we do for positive change? And that's what I'm excited about for the future, because I think that all of this, this conversation, the media, the social media, the community activism, whether it's getting President Biden elected, whether it was a response to getting our restaurants supported, whether it was getting our small businesses supported, yeah, that's the power that all of us have that yeah. we sustain going forward. And how and I, I want to dig
2: in, and I want to dig in here, Jeff, because yeah. one of the things that I think we, we saw people sh- pivot, we saw businesses pivot, we saw you guys pivot. Uh, and I think, you know, yes, we did lose um, so many businesses and so many people had to, so a lot of people gave up their brick and mortars so that they could be more nimble and stay open. Um, a lot of people went to roadside, ser- you know, curbside service. Can we talk about the pivots, uh, Jeff, that you saw and and the ingenuity that came from this yes it was hard and it was sad but i could not i was i was floored at some of the ingenuity that we saw among our businesses our restaurants um, all of the different uh you know our the, the places we love and you know what
6: was amazing they did pivot and in philadelphia these are small businesses that the heart soul this isn't just the big corporate yeah businesses that have all this amazing resource and could say, we'll switch and we have online and we could do this. This was individuals who said, I'm gonna save my business. I'm gonna save my dream. I'm gonna to try to save my employees. I'm gonna try. We're not gonna just wait for someone to do something. And that ingenuity to say, how do we survive and how do we thrive and how do we how do we continue? That's what I think is was cool. And what we did at Visit Philadelphia, when we saw black businesses that needed the help in the retail, we we launched a campaign, Shop Black Business, right? And 50,000 referrals went to people's websites. So they can find, they wanted to support black business and they wanted to use their wallet, whether you're black or you're white, or whether you're, we wanted to support our businesses. How do you do it? And 50,000 referrals, right? That was what I thought was cool, that how can we help each other? What could we do? And then i also think that what's been interesting is that people came together from different communities to say how can i help you the food insecurity in our city in our region children who didn't have access to internet the vulnerable they could go to school but you didn't know that they were a vulnerable population and that they might not be it so i'm so excited about philadelphians who said we're not gonna take it, but we're not gonna sit back. And so what I think is gonna happen, because Philly has done this before, I think we'll do it again, is that we'll use this as a platform to push the change. And our elected officials who are our friends and neighbors in Philadelphia, who care, I think they responded even to, they responded, let's just talk about responsiveness. And because so many other cities around the country how many hurt, fell on deaf ears or said, you mean there's a problem? And we at least jumped back in to say, how do we try to fix it? And we knew yeah. we would call.
2: And I have to say, one of the things that you guys have helped facilitate is safe, making sure businesses are safe for this new wave. We, cause I, I you guys help push businesses to say, look, lean in, lean you in. know, lean in. We in a pandemic it's going to be a while before we can't be masked, you know, we, we can be mask free, lean in. How do we help you become, how do we help the city become a safer city so that when we're able to open, even under these circumstances, we can do that. And I thought that is a big part as we as we get ready, hopefully to, uh, we see this light at the end of the tunnel.
6: There are two things. We've been saying there's a light at the end of the tunnel from the very beginning, because if we lose hope, even in the darkest days, you lose everything. And what we did was try to bring the community together virtually because we were so isolated. I go to to church several days a week. I couldn't go to my church. You couldn't see your friends and colleagues. Those things that brought us together. So how do we bring people together virtually? But then also, how do we let people know that we're gonna get through it and give them a sense of positivity too when we're dealing with such challenge and I think moving forward and I'm proud of our team here, the team here, they're all Philadelphians and they look like Philadelphia here. I mean, they're from every neighborhood, every community. We look like Philly. So we were able to authentically say, how do we do it and how do we talk and how do we respond? But then I also think moving forward, we gotta get the jobs back. And what's gonna sustain our businesses is customers, people who wanna come back, not just Philadelphians supporting Philadelphia, We need all the suburban people to come back and come back to our events and to our restaurants and to our museums and attractions. We need the tourists to come back. We need the people for business travel to come back. And so if we can do that and we can help sustain, that's where I think the heavy lift comes. And we need everyone's help. And I'm just so honored to be a Philadelphian with these amazing Philadelphians who are here and all those who you profiled because we, we have love and grit we're not waiting. And so I hope that we also keep each other accountable to our commitment of the inequities because they're not fixed. We yeah. put a bandaid on it. We, we may have triaged them. Maybe our doctor friends are here that they'll make fun of me later for, for using their doctor terms, but we haven't really fixed it, have we?
2: We have not fixed it. And there's a lot of work to do Um, But there's a lot of work getting done. And I hope that, you know, we, you know, as we reopen, I hope our businesses come back. I hope that people come up with different ideas, and that we continue to pivot. As we wrap up, is there a lesson you think you've learned about the city about our business industries that you think will help prepare us as we navigate through the rest of this?
6: I think the lesson is, all of us can make positive change in a small way and the pandemic now has given us the opportunity to not to delay, to but to take action now. And so I'm thrilled about the positive change ahead. And I think the lesson is we're all empowered to do it together and we don't need someone to empower us. So how do we do it for positive change? And that's what makes me excited for the future and the lesson learned.
2: Well, thank you so much, Jeff Garcino, president and CEO of Visit Philadelphia. Thank you for being on a part of this Flashpoint Live event. I appreciate you. Thank you, I'm so
6: honored.
2: Yes, and so we do have people who are uh, participating in our chat. And um, and I think uh, there were some questions for our doctors. If you could answer those questions within the chat, they're about allergies related to the vaccine. Shout out to everybody who is watching On uh, Facebook, if you could tag a friend, share this video, this is our Flashpoint Live event. We're talking about, uh, we're looking back at the pandemic, giving some perspective, lessons learned that we're gonna take to fuel our future. And as we uh, get to our last segment, uh, I gotta introduce Jen and Robert Morris. They're the owners of Cupcakeology. Uh, That is a, it was very successful a bakery based in Collingdale, Pennsylvania. Uh, They have a very unique story as small business owners uh, who actually, like Jeff and I were just talking about, they had to pivot. They found that they had to pivot, and for a number of reasons. Jen and Robert, welcome to Flashpoint Live. How you doing?
1: Hi, everybody.
2: Thank you so much for having us on. We really appreciate it, and we're
1: so excited and inspired to be a part of this. First of all,
2: your IG is popping. I I love being on your Instagram account. Um, I want you kind of to, first of all, talk about Cupcakeology. What is it? Uh, And and how did you find success? I mean, two two folks baking cupcakes, (laughs) killing the game.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, we started... And um, about 10 years ago, 10, 11 years ago, and we just had the hardest time. We wanted to take our passion for baking, our passion for food, really. Um, It first became a side hustle because first we had to figure out if it worked, right? And, but we had the hardest time trying to transition that side hustle, that home operation and turn it into something real, turn it into a brick and mortar, And we had to take many steps in between that to transition it from our home to our actual dream bakery. Right. But I think the um, just the passion and the, the fire and the desire for us to really put something into the community that was going to make a difference, right, because it started off with just cupcakes It started off with our passion, but as the the community and our customers watched our journey, we figured out, they made sure to let us know that by watching us and having us go through the, putting out the fires and things that we were going through to make this business come true, that we were inspiring them to, to keep pushing forward with their dreams, whether it was starting a business or anything. So we kind of fueled each other and, you know, we just made sure we learned that we had to keep implementing on things that we learned. We had to keep investing in ourselves. We had to keep riding the wave. We had to, if the market changed, we changed. If, you know, the customers changed what they wanted, then we started serving what the customers wanted. You know, we just had to ride the wave to keep growing and to keep going and to keep thriving.
2: And these are lessons that you learned pre-pandemic, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And then the pandemic hit, people got shut down your reaction. And then how did it, did it impact your business? Good, bad, what? It impacted
1: our business in an incredible way. And and I even still feel funny saying that. And I used to tell my husband when, it, when everybody shut down and I refused to shut down, I, we had to close our doors. We locked our doors. We had to play it safe for our customers, for us, for our employees. But I said, no, no, we're not going to stop selling cupcakes. People are still having birthdays. People are still, you know, want to celebrate the, the things that really matter in their life. Cupcakes lives. was <laughs> all we had. <laughs> that, that, that's all we had, right? So we just went back, took it back to the bare bones, took it back to the basics and looked at that business plan, made a pivot, and we started delivering. We we had a, a fleet of vans, trucks, vehicles. I was in my car. We were taking those orders. We were delivering and the people, the the response, the reaction of people calling in tears, saying how they really appreciate us still being open and serving them so they can get that cake out, that personalized cake out to their granddaughters or their personalized cake out to their sons that they haven't seen in weeks and months. And just having something like that coming from them with a specialized note meant the world to them. So I felt... I felt um, bad and guilty that we were, our sales and our business was doubling and tripling because we made it work. We figured out how to safely make the business continue to run when everybody else was shutting down.
2: Yeah. And so you guys actually, because you used cupcakes to make that human connection, you thrived during the pandemic. But I got to point out. You both got COVID-19, too. <laughs> <laughs>
7: you want to tell
2: Robert, that Robert, did you think you were going to get the COVID?
7: No, nah, I, I didn't think that we were going to get it. Uh, my wife kept telling me time and time again, you know, wear a white suit, protective boots, gas. <laughs> I mean, she bought me everything. I, I uh, operate the Market Frankfurt Line for uh, Philadelphia. So, you know, I was exposed to a lot of passengers, and I, I honestly didn't think that I was going to get it, but... I contacted it, I brought it home, you know, I got in trouble and, you know, it wasn't the best thing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then had the look for those who are just the girl,
6: <laughs> I said one more time, you're out of here.
2: <laughs> and, and so you got the COVID, obviously you recovered from it, uh, both oh, yeah. young, healthy, yeah. Uh, yeah. recovered from it. But then, you know, even though you were thriving, you guys still pivoted and do you still sell cupcakes?
1: No, we we do not. We no longer sell cupcakes. The Cupcakeology brand has made a pivot. Um, we are still operating as Cupcakeology because that is something that's near and dear to our heart. And that brand is going to outlast us and our children. Um, but we made the pivot because, like I mentioned before, I felt so guilty. You know, our our bakery was popping, you know, and other, other stores and other restaurants and other takeout spots, they were shutting down. And I felt guilty. And I said, okay, we had already had a business, small business academy. It's called the Start, Small, Win, Big Academy that we started two years prior to um, the pandemic. So, you know, it was, a, it was a part-time thing. We were helping and mentoring entrepreneurs start and open the, up their businesses. And, um, but ever since the pandemic and with the grants coming in and the PPP loans and, um, you know, the money from the government, People got smart, and they said, "Well, listen, I think this is the perfect time to turn my passion into something real. How can you help me, Robin and Jen?" And then our doors just got flooded with people asking us to mentor them and to coach them. So we felt like there was—it was like a soul-tugging feeling. Like, okay, your job is done here selling cupcakes. I I gave you the experiences, I gave you these lessons. Now it's time for you to take that and move it to the next chapter and make a bigger impact, you know, in in life and with, with people, you know. And that's-
2: And let's talk about that a little bit, because I spent a lot of time covering small businesses and the impact of COVID-19 and all the closures on businesses and uh, specifically businesses of color. And what I realized is there's a lot of uh, small black and brown businesses that are micro businesses, meaning that they don't have. Um, brick and mortars and they're not traditionally counted in some of these numbers right. or the reason why I was particularly interested in your story is because your entire goal is to help these thousands and thousands of micro mom and pop working out the kitchen shops mm-hmm. build and scale up so they can hire and 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 do and grow and become Kind of like what cupcakeology is with a fleet of vans popping, oh, right?
7: Yeah. <laughs> right. The, the different, the different thing that that see what what we did was we learned how to start this business off without the help of anyone, and that's been me and my wife's goal since we started. You know, um, you you don't want to have to wait on anybody, you know, whether it be the government, your mom, your dad. You know, you have to get out there and you have to take action. And once we implemented that into our system, that's when all the doors open, you know, and then now we have all these followers and they want to do the same things. But what they don't realize is that it's already inside of it's baked inside of them. So we help bring that out. Mm -hmm. We help bring out how you need to worry about yourself first, you know, worry about your family second, you know, happiness, all that stuff. Is the whole complete package. Starting a business is not just starting a business and making money, right. you know. And we try to teach people the necessities. And, and And they're coming in. They're They're doing what we say. They're learning. They're opening their doors. They're giving back. We're creating these circles where mm-hmm. we all talk together. And there's so much more that goes to business than just going out there and selling a cupcake mm-hmm. or fixing a car. You know, that's what we teach, and that's how we give back. And it's helping. It's helping everybody. It's helping us. Our lives. We have a beautiful life. You know, we, we, we love our lives. We give back and we do what we're supposed to do. And that makes life so much better. That's what we try to teach people. Everybody's worried about the money, the money, the money. All, all that stuff will come. You have to put the foundation down That's right. and the foundation is what we teach. And it's very important.
2: And I love how you say it's all baked in. He's using cupcake analogies. I thought you <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, come out the sprinkles and
5: the
2: chips and all the I thought you got the ice in. I'm like, oh. <laughs> we got cupcake analogies with this. Right. So, as we wrap up this final segment of Flashpoint Live, I want you to kind of in, in succinctly kind of say, what do you think people should take from this? The businesses were ravaged, and a lot of the but the folks who pivoted. They're thriving. Mm-hmm. Can you yeah. talk about this need for ingenuity?
7: I think that people people need to realize that there is an underground society out there. If you look at the new generation out here, they're taking things and they're making their future, they're, they're laying that path a different way than what we're used to seeing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the internet is one of those ways. You have lots of young millionaires out here and they're doing it untraditionally. Mm -hmm. They're not asking for the help of people. They're not waiting for stimulus checks. They're learning what to do with the little money that they do have, Mm -hmm. how to invest in it, how to make it bigger. And they're learning how to do these these multi-million dollar business deals online without having some of the credentials that a lot of other people have. Mm -hmm. So you have to get your mindset right, and you have to know how to stop asking and start doing, you know, once you once you get that out the way, you'll be fine. But take a look at these young kids. They're, they're killing the game. They're killing it.
2: They're killing the game. And with that, I want to say thank you so much to Jen and Robert Morris of Cupcakeology. Please say your website and where people can follow you.
1: Yes, yeah, so um, you can follow us on Instagram, Rob underscore Jen Morris, that's um, J-E-N, one N, and um, you can still go to our website, www.cupcakeologypa.com, and we are creating a brand new website full of resources
2: for business owners to come
1: on and just learn it all. all.
2: (laughs) Don't wait, just do. Thank you so much to both of you you for being a part of this Flashpoint Live and for doing what you do. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. So hopefully um, you all had a good time looking back and thinking about some of the lessons we have learned. What we have realized is, look, you can't wait. For any, There's no Superman. There's only people who roll up their sleeves and get the job done. We saw churches step up. We saw people uh, in, in whatever professional capacity step up. We saw business owners helping other business owners, people creating the things that were needed uh, in our time of crisis. And so that is the thing we need to take with us as we move forward. So this has been a special Flashpoint. I would, If you're watching on Facebook, please tag a friend, share this video, uh, share this. People can watch us on Facebook. We also tweeted it out if you follow KYW News Radio. And you can also listen to this program on 103.9 FM. Uh, it will air April 1st at eight o'clock. Uh, and you can also listen at our regular times for Flashpoint, which is 9.30 Saturday night and 8.30 Sunday morning. And we also would love for you to uh, subscribe to Flashpoint. You can find it at kwwnewsradiocom Flashpoint. And you can also subscribe through the new Aud- Odyssey app or the Apple podcast app. We'd love to have you do that as well. Well, that is it for Flashpoint. I want to say, take a moment and thank our sponsor, Patriot Home Care. Uh, Patriot Home Care is the leading provider of home care services across the state of Pennsylvania. If you are considering home care for yourself or a loved one, Patriot Home Care makes it easy with a caring and compassionate staff. Don't be overwhelmed by all the choices. Let Patriot Home Care help. Patriot Home Care, love the care your loved one receives from Patriot Home Care. They are accepting caregivers and new clients virtually. You can log on at PatriotHomeCare.com. O R G. Well, that is it for Flashpoint. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint. So show. And since we always wrap it up with a quote, here's one from Dr. Wayne Dyer. If you change the way you look at things, guess what? The things you look at will change. The show was produced by Ariane Fulcher and me, your host, Cherry Gregg. Thank you again to Patriot Home Care. And thank you to Alex Silverman and our entire digital team at KYW News Radio for your support. Uh, And until next week, thank you for listening. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Have a wonderful evening.